When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Natural Hat Trick with Luke Lipinski, Craig Morgan, and Jamie Eisner. Welcome into episode 253 of the Natural Hat Trick podcast alongside Craig Morgan. Good natty hattie. And that's it. No Jamie Eisner today. He couldn't be bothered with a Western Conference playoff preview. Why do you think he's not here? Oh, I mean, the I'm sure he'll give us some sort of, oh, I had my real job to do excuse. But um, right. real hockey for the first time in four and a half months starts tomorrow. So you're recording on vacation, and I'm supposed to be at a baseball game, and I'm recording. So that shows the level of commitment. By the way, I'm Luke Lipinski. Um, Craig, how you doing? Wherever you are. Uh, I'm still up in the mountains. I'll be back in the valley tomorrow. It sounds like you guys are having a brutal heat wave down there. I'm not anxious to come back home, but um, I'm doing okay. It's been a, a hectic week. <laughs> Do you remember a time when you would go on a, a vacation or even just, I don't even, is this a vacation or just a quick getaway and it wasn't complete chaos? Uh, to answer the first question, no, I don't remember what that feels like anymore. And this was supposed to be a week, get, well, it is a week getaway, but. I certainly haven't gotten away from work. I've, been, I've written every day this week. It was funny, too. When, when the stuff started to, uh, to break on Sunday, I noticed more and more listeners and readers uh, tweeting at you asking if you were on vacation or something because of the, the craziness of this uh, coyote story. And sure enough, there you go. I was two hours away from leaving when it all went <laughs> down. We were leaving the house, and then I had to uh, stick around and get that first story out. And then it just kept coming. Where were you at one point? Weren't you stuck in like Oklahoma in 2017 when everything started to go crazy with the Tippett stuff and the Doan stuff and the Mike Smith stuff? <laughs> it was a, yeah, it was a succession of things. Um, I'm trying to remember the, uh, the timeline of it all. I think I was in rural Missouri cause we, we chose to drove to, to drive to Chicago for the draft that year because my parents wanted to, go see friends in uh, Springfield, Missouri, and they wanted to bring their dog. They didn't want the dog flying. So we were driving and yeah, news broke every day of the trip. I think Shane Doan was first. He had uh, texted me while I was in rural Missouri and had no cell service. So I didn't even get the text message for about 20 minutes. (laughs) Mike Smith was traded while I was in Springfield. And then Dave Tippett left on the eve of the NHL draft in Chicago. Your friends have a dog that can fly. (laughs) <laughs> the dog cannot fly, sadly. Oh, okay. That that was the problem. I mean, oh. my parents had, you know, 
they had hoped that they could fly on his back, but it didn't Which work is, out. It, so, yeah, no, yeah. probably not big enough. Uh, you really should put out a map at some point of where you were across the country and key moments in Coyote's history. Yeah, that would be great. I, I like that idea. You need you need to have one of your graphics guys on AZ Coyote's Insider put that together for us. <laughs> All right, well. We, uh, we did the Eastern Conference qualifying round preview a week ago. We made our predictions, and uh, we're going to do our Western Conference today. Do you want to get into the Coyote stuff now or after we do the, uh, the series by series? How do you want to yeah, do this? We can knock it out as long as we've been talking about it anyway. Okay. Um, I mean, we've heard a lot of different stuff on whatever happened with John Chaika and the team, and there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of stuff out there that's rumor. Your story a couple days ago, though, is what I'm most interested in right now of who are we looking at potentially long-term to fill that role? Because that role doesn't really mean that much this week as they take the ice in Edmonton, but it means a lot going forward. It sure does. And I, I don't think we have any clarity on that right now because the team has made it pretty clear that they are focused on the playoffs right now. Steve Sullivan is the interim GM. He will remain at that post at least until the end of the season, whenever that comes. So I don't think they're at least outwardly focused on much on that right now, and, and that, that's understandable. But with John Chaika's departure, there is the opportunity here. They clearly need to fill that role. Does this mean that Shane Doan could possibly come back to the organization in some form, some role? I wrote this, obviously, but I, you know, I threw out some other candidates as well. Um, Steve Sullivan is obviously in that mix. Sean Burke, who has a lot of ties to this organization as a player, as an executive, as a coach. And, and we see him around the arena all the time because he's still scouting the Coyotes and, and the, the Western Conference for the Montreal Canadiens. He makes a lot of sense. And then there's some other guys to consider that are out there too. Uh, Ray Shero, who coached your Pittsburgh Penguins, is, really was the architect between their three most recent, uh, behind their three most recent Stanley Cups. He's an interesting name to consider, um, and, and I, I did throw out a, a few other names. People can go to my uh, website and read it. I don't want to get into all of that, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on how they move forward at that position? Uh, I'm, my initial reaction is if Steve Sullivan, if he can do it, I, I like the continuity there just because I do think the Coyotes have been building something the last couple of years, and whether that ultimately turns into you know a deep playoff run within the next couple of years or it doesn't, I at least feel like for the last couple of years, they have stuck to a plan and we've seen incremental progress each year. Now, whether you wanted to see it faster or not, and I, I do think a lot of what happens against Nashville will sort of uh, drive people's opinions on that. But, you know, Steve Sullivan has at least been right there. He's been a big part of it. He's, you know, him. I mean, he's extremely enthusiastic, not only just about hockey, but he's one of those guys that, that played in the league for a long time. He doesn't need to do this job money-wise, and yet he's the first one that will be volunteering to hop on a plane to go watch a junior game in, like, North Canada because he wants to be at every game, and he wants to be that involved in the scouting process or, you know, at least when he was working uh, more exclusively with Tucson. So I'm intrigued by that. I'd obviously love to have Shane Doan involved with the organization. I think we've all just assumed that was inevitable. The last couple of years have made it seem less inevitable, but but still, I, I think that, that that has to happen, whether it happens now or a year from now or whatever. Ray Shiro's name, though, I mean, like you said, I, I, I watched him build up the Penguins in the, what is he, about 2006 to 2014, somewhere in that range. And so he wasn't actually, or 15, I think, he wasn't actually there when they won the Cups in 16 and 17, but that was his team he put together, like you said, you know, so... It doesn't take a lot of skill to draft Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, but it does take skill to put the pieces around them. And Jim Rutherford, for as much as we talked on this podcast, when when the Pittsburgh got him, how nervous I was, 
he came in and put the finishing touches on those teams, probably at the expense of the future of the Penguins, but that's what you do when you're trying to win. But Shiro's the one that was there when they drafted Jake Gensel in the third round and Brian Rust late and Tristan Jari late and all those guys. And that's not just him. It's not just the GM, but he's a pretty smart GM. I, I'm very intrigued by that name. Yeah, and let's not forget that while he was in New Jersey, yeah. he engineered the trade that brought Taylor Hall and, and put him in a position to become the league MVP in 2018. They have a very strong relationship. So if you really want to re-sign Taylor Hall, that's an interesting trump card. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, another name that keeps surfacing <laughs> is Peter Shirelli, the guy who traded Taylor Hall uh, famously, as Bob McKenzie tweeted, one for one for Adam Larson. I can't imagine those negotiations going well if Peter Shirelli tries to sign, re-sign Taylor Hall. So uh, that one's bizarre to me. But, but Shero, Shero is really an interesting name to me. Um, just a little more on Doan, though. I guess this is not surprising because we were both around Doan a lot and we saw the relationships he had around the league. But, man, support for him being back in this organization is widespread and it is vehement. Pretty much everyone that I talked to said it is astounding that it has not happened yet. Yeah, and and just to be clear, you're not even saying he needs to be the GM to be involved with the team, right? It's he could he could have already been involved with the team, and uh, and and like you said, the rift or issues or whatever that have been there, perceived or real, over the last couple of years are not with anybody that's there anymore. Like he gets yeah. along with Steve Sullivan. He, you know, he doesn't, he wasn't there when this ownership group took over. So it's like the door is certainly open again, whether they do it right now or they do it two years from now, they need to do that. You want to talk about addressing a, or hitting on a real important topic with your fan base. I don't know if there is a more important one other than like winning the Stanley cup for coyotes fans. <laughs> no doubt. Um, anything else you want to throw out there on Chica before we move forward? Or are we kind of taking a wait and see approach on, on whatever's next for him? I think so. It's, it's hard to parse what's happening. You know, it's hard to parse the truth right now, Luke, as, as a lot of people have alluded to. This case is clearly going to the legal system at this point because there is a contract dispute. Gary Bettman's going to be in the middle of this. So I think we just have to let it play out. I mean, there have been a lot of reports out there, some tying him to New Jersey. I've heard that rumor as well. But I, I think the biggest thing here is that just how this gets resolved. So how the club and John Chica can move on from this really messy ending. Yeah. And to be clear, New Jersey is the place. Everybody's saying it's Buffalo. It really sounds like New Jersey is the place that every single person I trust on this, that's, that's what it comes back to because they own like every team and every sport, oddly enough, like that ownership group has connections to the premier league and the NFL and, and soon major league baseball. Um, last thing on the Coyotes before we get into these previews, you did have a story out this week on possible arena locations. And as I texted you, I know that to be true even before I see that you have a story because anytime Craig Morgan mentions arena, I start to get a lot of texts about potential Coyotes arenas, even if I don't expect any that day. It, it is arena season. And yes, um, I have been told that the Coyotes are exploring. They're, they're focused on a privately financed arena. Now, what that means, of course, the devil is in the details. Will, will they be able to find willing business partners, corporate sponsors for this? Will they st- still need some concessions from a municipality? A lot of that, of course, will be dependent on the location and, of course, the partners. But with this ownership group, at least we can say something that we haven't been able to say in the past. They have the financial chops to do something like this. And they do seem to be moving ahead with 
sort of the three locations, I guess, that everyone would expect. One would be on tribal lands, although they haven't stated the exact tribe that they're dealing with. A lot of assumptions are that it's going to be the Salt River Pima Maricopa tribe. But, you know, they also have ties to Gila River. Yeah, obviously. Indian community as well. Yeah, it's on, their, it's on their arena. But then, of course, Tempe and ASU is another location. Or potentially staying at Gila River Arena, which, you know, has a lot of issues. They'd have to come to a different agreement with the city of Glendale. That's been difficult to strike in the past. I think that's sort of a fallback option, Luke, if they can't figure out these other two options. But I think they want to remain open-minded to it because regardless of whatever they've heard about past negotiations with Glendale, this is a new group, so they have to do their due diligence. And I liked what he said uh, in your piece, and I've heard him say this in other places too. I mean, uh, Javier Gutierrez was brought in. I understand that they, you know, the role of president on an NHL team takes on a lot of different jobs, but for the Coyotes specifically, and he said this, it's it's items number one through 10 on his to-do list should be an arena. And it sounds like he fully gets that, obviously, and, and certainly Alex Morello does as well. Now, I want to be clear because Craig Morgan, I know people are going to go back and listen to this and, and try and find extra meaning in your words. You did say the devil's in the details. So is that you saying subtly that they're definitely going to be playing at ASU? <laughs> it is not, but I was aware of the potential play on words when I wrote it. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get to these, uh, these, these Western Conference qualifying round previews. We've now seen every team play one exhibition game, and that's all they get. So uh, before we jump into specifics, just in general, I don't know how much of these you've gotten to watch because you're, you're on a, a Craig Morgan version of a vacation, which just means working all day in a different city. Um, anything stand out, though, just in general? For me, I was kind of surprised that scoring is way down early on. Yeah, actually, that that was what I was going to mention as well, because I thought play would be a bit looser and there would be a lot more scoring opportunities as a result. So, I mean, it just goes to show how hard it is to predict a, a situation like this when teams have been off for four months. We have no idea what's coming. Yeah, you know, way, way back when they first started to announce their return to play plan, my original thought was if you have goaltending, that's going to be a huge advantage, maybe more so this year than in years past. And then I had heard a few people say, yeah, okay, but these goalies, it's not like they've been playing actual games for the last few months either. So either way, though, I didn't expect it to be, uh, if Jamie was here, he could tell us, but I believe every single exhibition game went under. And I didn't expect anything that definitive one way or the other. You know what I mean? Like I expected, okay, this game will be seven to two, but this game will be one to nothing or whatever. So, I mean, I expect that to pick up. It was actually Paul Bissonnette, though, when we were doing the broadcast last night, uh, mentioned that he's been told by a few goalies, you know, you're not moving from arena to arena. You're playing in the exact same arena with no fans. So the sight lines are going to be the same. So if anything, the goalies might actually settle in even more as this goes on. So we'll see. That's that's two non-goalies talking goalie speak. Yeah, but it's an interesting analysis that's worth a follow-up, actually. Let's um, let's start with the Blackhawks and... Oh, let's. And, uh, There's my bell. I, uh, well, you're going to need to get one here. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this. Obviously, the Coyotes are playing in the qualifying round, and the Penguins are playing in the qualifying round. So those are the two series that are going to capture my most attention. But in terms of most entertaining, man, I feel like this is the one. I really do. It really could just be racing from end to end. There's so much speed in this series. And I mean, I, I think Tippett has led the Oilers to play with a lot more structure than they did before. So I, I can't say that they can't play defense anymore. But yeah, this could be a wild series to watch. It could also be a really quick series. You think? Do you think that's possible? <laughs> I do with the Blackhawks and the way they play defense. <laughs> I um, I really think 
and, and who knows how this plays out, obviously. I think Edmonton's capable of going on a very deep run in these playoffs. And I quietly thought that before the break, and then the break hit, and it's like, okay, everything's sort of out the window. They're playing in, the, in this qualifying round. They could be gone. I mean, they could easily lose to Chicago, and I do still, I still believe that's possible. I shouldn't say easily. But, man, you hear the reports on Connor McDavid, and you see him in that first game against Calgary, and it almost feels like, Everybody either took a step back or really did everything they could to tread water during the break. And it seems like McDavid may have widened the gap between himself and everybody else during the break. <laughs> yeah. And then you throw in the combination of Leon Dreisettle and Dave Tippett. Yeah. I don't know, man. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think this team is capable of surprising people and making a really deep run. Now, the question, of course, is who's going to be in net. And yes. that's this is a this is a situation that a lot of teams are going to have to sort out this season. Typically, typically most playoff teams have their one guy and then they have, you know, even if it's option one B, they are a clear one B. There's a lot of teams in these playoffs, Pittsburgh included, certainly Edmonton that I don't think definitively know who their goalie is going into the qualifying round. And that's fine, except it's best of five. So if your starter loses in game one and gets shelled, then you have a really difficult decision to make going into game two. Do you stick with the guy that had a bad game one, or do you go to a guy that hasn't really played in four and a half months other than maybe 20 minutes of an exhibition game? Yeah, and I don't even know the answer to that unless the unless the gulf between number one and number two is so wide that you're like, okay, we got to come back with this guy. We wrote him all season. But when when they're close, I got to believe you, you've got to make a switch there because there's no tomorrow in a five-game series. With, with Edmonton in particular, though, You've got the added storyline of Dave Tippett and Mike Smith's ties, and they go way back to Dallas even, but even before the Coyotes. So there's a level of trust there. It's going to be really interesting. Tippett has said he expects both of these guys to play, but I'm still curious how it all plays out. Um, one shout-out, by the way, before we get into all of these series, is that rather than trying to pick the top storylines myself um, – mm-hmm. I reached out to the people who know. I reached out to the beat writers at The Athletic uh, to get their thoughts on the top storylines in each of these series, and every one of them got back to me with great content. So shout out to all those folks. Yeah, that's awesome too. And, and as we've said before, when we do like when we do preview series in the summer, typically in the summer, I guess we're doing a playoff preview now in the summer, but season previews, it's, it's always great to talk to the beat writers and the teams that cover the team specifically because even though you and I and, and Jamie, when, remember Jamie? Um. No, I'm sorry. Okay, yeah, maybe I had his name wrong. But the other guy that used to do this podcast, I mean, we Matt all Lehman. follow. We, yes, Matt Lehman, I think that's how it's pronounced. We all follow the league very closely. But when you're talking to somebody that covers the team on a day-in and day-out basis, they know the real detailed uh, issues or strengths of any uh, team or situation. So along those lines, Edmonton is a team that has really excelled on special teams this season. But five-on-five five is obviously going to be a, a huge part of the playoffs. Could that be their undoing? Or how about if I word it this way, if we're talking about the Oilers not making a deep run, is that probably what we're going to be pointing to? And that and goaltending, I would say, would be the the problem areas. Um, as Daniel Nugent Bowman from The Athletic pointed out, referees tend to have a more lenient standard of officiating during the playoffs. So if the Oilers don't get a chance to take advantage of the best power play in the league, that could hurt them because they, they have to play on five on five where they were not very good this season. Uh do you get the sense, maybe, I, I kind of do, I guess that's why I'm asking this, that we may be on the verge of watching not a breakout by Connor McDavid because he's already considered the best player in the league, but the stage is set for him to just take these playoffs over. And he's obviously capable of doing it. Like I said, I think if this, 
if this becomes a track meet and these games are 6-5 or 5-4, I mean, Chicago can play that style if they need to. It's only a best of five. I'm going to pick the Oilers, but, you know, Chicago could certainly mess things up for them. But if they go on, if they win this, if they get past this series, I think Edmonton's going to be tough to beat in the Western Conference. And, it, yeah, it's Dreisaitl, it's Tippett, you know, there's other pieces now. But McDavid's obviously the guy leading the way, and it just seems like he's primed to really take off again. Yeah, and you want to see the best players in the league in the postseason. This is where they get a chance to shine and really make a name for themselves. Not that he has to make a name for himself at this point, but you just want the chance to watch great players compete in the postseason. To me, in this series, I mean, there's a lot of speed, as we talked about, and and the Oilers are probably going to try and do a lot off the rush. They have the ability to do so. But I think also with Dave Tippett, the thinking has to be, you got to pin Chicago in its own end because they're they're absolutely horrific when they have to defend in their own end. They don't stop cycles. They don't do a good job of just about anything in their defensive end. So if Edmonton can hem them in, I, I think this could be a really short series. On the flip side, if Chicago is able to pull this off, uh, to me it's a mix of, again, everybody just didn't play hockey for four and a half months, but it's also going to come down to Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, the guys you would expect to produce offense, producing against an Edmonton team that still isn't there yet defensively and goaltending-wise. But more than anything, it may come down to Corey Crawford. Do you think he has that in him? And if he does, how far, like what is Chicago's ceiling in your mind? Could they make... Uh, not a run, but could they win two or three series? I guess three series would be a run. Yeah, I, I can't see this team winning more than one series, to be honest. I just don't think they're that good, Luke. They've got a few holdover pieces, and I think the perception of them is a little higher than it than the reality. This is not the Blackhawk teams of old. I just don't think they're very good. But you're right, Corey Crawford, I mean, he's been he's been fantastic, and he's masked so many of their problems all season long. He will have to be absolutely brilliant in the postseason, but can you do this against such high Octane and and high skilled players like McDavid, like Drysaddle. I don't know. The Blackhawks again just don't defend well enough in their own end to prevent those high quality chances. I just I don't see a way that the Hawks win this series. See, I disagree with you there. I think they could win the series, but I do agree that that's probably it. Even though they look great in their exhibition game against St. Louis, it's a, it's one exhibition game after four and a half months off in St. Louis. I noticed this last night watching the uh, the Coyotes-Vegas game. Teams like Vegas and St. Louis and Boston that are playing in that round robin, they basically have four exhibition games in a way. I mean, you want to be the number one seed, but how much is that really going to help when you don't get a home ice advantage anyway other than having last change and, and some of the little details in the game? Uh, I, like, like Vegas did it last night where they just played Flurry the whole game because they know they can play Leonard in their first round robin game and Flurry in their second and just go back and forth. So I wonder, you know, if a team like St. Louis was just kind of slowly ramping up, whereas a team like Chicago has one game to ramp up quickly. So uh, last one, Kirby Doc, and and what he sort of represents, I feel like a lot of the younger guys, if they, depending what sort of training they had access to and, and what they did over the, uh, the break, it seems like some of these really young guys are almost entering year two now, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> Certainly felt like we had an entire offseason. Um, yeah. Kirby, Kirby Doc has looked pretty good, actually. Uh, he looked good in that exhibition game, uh, and there have been some pretty good reviews of him in camp as well. He's kind of a wild card in this series because he clearly is part of the future at, at up the middle of the ice. If they can get some play up the middle of the ice, they might have a little better chance. Uh, I, I think it's a lot to pin on him right now, but again, he, ha- he has looked pretty good to date. Predictions? Well, I've got the Oilers winning this in four, and that may be generous to the Blackhawks. I wouldn't be surprised if it were a sweep. Uh, and, and since JB was actually 
kind enough to send over his predictions as well. I oh, have wow. those penciled in here. And Jamie has also taken the Oilers in four. How about you? Okay, well, since Jamie took the Oilers in four, I'll go Oilers in five. I don't want to be that similar to what he uh, what he said. I think and I'm picking I'm picking five games in a lot of these first round series because I just think it's going to take a little time for the good teams to separate themselves from the lesser teams. And um, yeah, I, I do think the Oilers, if they get past this uh, series, you know, depending who they get in the second round or the first round or whatever we're calling it, I, I think they're capable of going on a run. But I think anybody playing this first uh, week of this tournament in, in facing an elimination situation in the qualifying round, anybody's at risk. But man, Edmonton looks a lot tougher now than they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. That was five. Another series we don't want to spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Okay. Well, Vancouver and Minnesota are going to play. It sounds like they're, they're still going to play the series, even though nobody wants to watch it. So Vancouver is interesting to me. I actually, you'd be proud. I, I made it a special point to watch the Canucks jets exhibition game. Cause I wanted to see Vancouver and I'm not going to watch them for the next week now because they're in potentially the most boring series of the first round. <laughs> so I wanted to get a look at them against Winnipeg, and then maybe I'll watch them again when they get uh, past Minnesota if they do. What, um, what are you looking for in this series, Craig? Well, to me, it's a, it's a contrast of, of styles, right? Vancouver has the, that, that top six that can take over the series, potentially be very explosive, and of course, Quinn Hughes on the back end. But then you're going up against the, uh, a veteran team that – I think Minnesota in some ways doesn't get enough credit because you look at the team and the way they play, it's it's not all that exciting. But this team really finishes well if you look at their stats. This team can score. So I wonder if I wonder if they're able able to take advantage of Vancouver's back end, which still isn't very good. And also the fact that Vancouver just is not a very fast team, Luke. They don't have a lot of great foot speed. Can Minnesota take advantage of those? Are, are the Wild even built that way to, to take advantage of those weaknesses? Yeah, I mean, all season long, we talked about how Minnesota might get into the playoffs and, and steal a top eight spot at the time from a team that, that is much more deserving or much more exciting. And then they finish 10th, but you know, with everything that happened, they get in anyway and... And for the longest time, it was like, hey, Minnesota's playing Chicago in the first round again. Do they have a chance here? Minnesota's, you know, just kind of a team taking up a spot. Vancouver's got holes, and they are certainly the more exciting of these two teams. We get to see Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes in the playoffs, finally. Uh, two of the more compelling players. You put in the notes, uh, you have them both in the top 25 already in the NHL? <laughs> well, no, th- these are notes from, uh, again, from the beat writers. Oh, okay, so. okay. Um, but Pedersen is probably there, and, and Hughes might win Rookie of the Year. So Yeah, I'm not ready to put Quinn Hughes there yet. I, Quinn Hughes has been anointed by a lot of people. I, I look at the situations he plays in. I want to see whether he will have linear progression. Shout out to Jamie Eisner. Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not there yet on Quinn Hughes. I'm not as high on him yet as some other people. But this, this team definitely has some high offensive potential. They're not nearly as good as Minnesota defensively. But another key point here – Minnesota's goaltending has been awful this yeah. season. Yeah. So can Alex Stalock play at a, a, a decent level to carry the wild, or is that going to be their Achilles heel? And I watched part of that game they played against Colorado. I was doing a show while I was watching it, so I didn't get to watch it in, in depth. But, I mean, he looked – I saw him make a couple decent saves, and Minnesota hung in there. I think Colorado won that game 3-2. But they're going to need outstanding goaltending to beat most teams that are left because Minnesota's just kind of – I don't know. They're the sort of team where it's like, hey, Vancouver's up 4-1 in game two. I don't see how Minnesota comes back. Now, to be fair to them, they're probably not as boring as they were a couple years ago, but they're going to have to 
show me something to sort of shed that label uh, going forward. What's what is interesting to me about this series is Vancouver. I feel like their fan base and media, they are probably the team that has the most unrealistic expectations and and belief about their team. And it's, I don't think it's, I was just going to ask you this same thing. I don't think it's isolated in just Vancouver. I'm seeing this in national media all over the place. There are a lot of people who think Vancouver is better than I think they are. I, I don't think this is a great team. I think they have some nice pieces. Again, I want to see Quinn Hughes' progression past one season. I want to see him play in different situations. Pedersen is a remarkable player, no question about that. But like you said, this team has a lot of holes. Yeah, I just – like it seems like it's the same people that look at Edmonton. I can totally get on board with the argument of Edmonton of – they don't have a lot of depth. They still need work on the back end, and we don't know who their goalie is yet. But if you have McDavid and Dreisaitl, you have two of the best, what, five, six players in the NHL, that can yeah. carry you. I, mean, I watched the Penguins do that in 2009, and we look back and we say, okay, wait, they actually had a lot of good pieces. And I watched the Penguins do that to a certain extent in 2016 when their entire blue line was gone. Yeah, You can go on that run, but for some reason, people, the same people that look at Edmonton and say, well, you can't just do it with just McDavid and Dreisaitl. Look at Vancouver, and they're like, you could totally do it with just Pedersen and Quinn Hughes. I do think Vancouver's goaltending is better than Edmonton's, and that's, that's a, a point, too. Jacob Markstrom had a pretty good season, so that, that helps them. But, yeah, again, what about their defense? What about the bottom six? Minnesota has much better depth throughout its forward group, so that could be a problem for Vancouver. And, again, this is not a fast team. I think, I think you can exploit some things. I'm not sure Minnesota is quite the team to do it, but I think Vancouver has a lot of ways in which it can be exploited. Uh, last one on this series, JT Miller in sort of a unique spot as, as he heads into this one. Yeah. <laughs> as, as Thomas Drantz uh, asked, can, uh, can JT Miller win his own trade in very playoff teammates from the past? <laughs> he has three goals in 61 career playoff games, Ooh. but, but as Thomas said, he's never been a top line force like he's become in Vancouver. Uh, it's, it's obviously a, a big opportunity for him. Um, I want to pick the wild here, but I don't want to be watching these games getting frustrated when the wild can't do anything. So I'm going to take Vancouver, but I'm going to take them in five. And this to me, probably more than any series that we've talked about so far is, is an absolute coin flip. Yeah. Jamie took the Canucks in four. I am actually taking the wild in five. I'm going to go with the veteran experience in a playoff series. You know, one of the things that's going to be really interesting too, about this qualifying round is we're going to see what style is it, you know, you have a four and a half month break. Is it the team that has the most talent? Is it the team that has the best goaltending, the best coaching? Is it a veteran team or a young team that is going to do better after that break? Because the vets have been here before, you know, they've been to the playoffs, I guess, before they haven't been in this scenario, but you know, the young guys, maybe that, that four and a half month break doesn't hurt them as much. You could also make the case though, four and a half months off allows a player that's been in the league for 15 years to sort of rest up. And it's just, this series maybe more than any other really illustrates that, uh, that divide. Uh, Calgary, number eight against the number nine Winnipeg Jets in the West. This is one of the more compelling series to me, too. Not so much, not like Chicago Edmonton, where I can't wait to watch every game, although I, I'm interested in watching these ones, too. But a, one of these teams is going out in the first round, and I think their fan base and the media scrutiny is going to be through the roof. I, I think. We're going to see one of these two have a real tough offseason. Yeah, to me, the difference, well, there are a few things. Uh, Winnipeg has terrific goaltending. Connor Hellebuck should win the Vezina Trophy, in my opinion, this year. 
Um, so he alone gives them a decided advantage over Calgary. Uh, you know, when I, when I spoke to Scott Crookshank from the Athletic Calgary, he noted how the goaltending position has just been a carousel for Calgary. They they haven't seemed to be able to find anybody really since Mika Kiprasov was was manning the pipes. In 2015, the Flames playoff goalies were Jonas Hiller and Kari Ramo. 2017, it was Brian Elliott and Chad Johnson. 2019, it was Mike Smith. And now it's going to be either Cam Talbot or David Riddick. So, and, and, and any of those options, I mean, you don't look at any of those options and say, oh, okay, well, they'll be okay if, if, they, if one of those guys, I, I don't know. That, I, I think there's a, a decided advantage for Winnipeg here. I also wonder about Calgary's ability to defend Winnipeg off the rush. Winnipeg has a lot of speed. I, I think they have a, a pretty good advantage in this series. Uh, you mentioned, or it was mentioned in the notes too, which sort of next generation starter we potentially see breaking out for the, the Jets here. And it's not like they have had a lot of success in the playoffs yet, obviously. A little bit, I guess, a couple of years ago. But you talk about guys like Mark Shifley, Kyle Connor, uh, he might be the most underrated player in the NHL. We've, we've gone back Seriously. and forth on this. For a while, it was Barkov. I think now Barkov is getting the respect he deserves. Kyle Connor is an absolute, he's a, he just pencil him in for at least 30 goals every year, and he doesn't even get talked about. Yeah, it's crazy to me. And yeah, I don't know what more to say other than that, but I, I agree with you completely. He is, I think if you put his name out there to the casual fan, a lot of people wouldn't even be able to tell you which team he played for. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, he was a first round pick, but he was one of those guys. It's funny. He had, he had accolades going into the, his draft year. And I remember thinking when the Jets got him, like, oh, that's, you know, at the time, you don't know who the, the, the missed picks are going to be in front of him, but it's like, I, I, how did Kyle Connor slip all the way to Winnipeg? And he's been much better even than I expected. Um, Calgary, I, I really do think, I, we had a listener ask this question a week or two ago. I think Calgary is on the very short list of teams that have a ton of pressure in this qualifying round. And, you know, I've said this before, with, with the, the craziness that we've all just gone through in the last four plus months, I don't know that any 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 uh, fan base can really look at their team and say, oh, I can't believe you you just lost. You know, if Vancouver loses to, to Minnesota, they're going to freak out. But it's like, these are really strange circumstances. I don't think the Calgary fans or media are going to have any patience if they lose in the first round again. Yeah, and I, I kind of think that's fair for this group now. They've had enough time. And you can't just keep spinning your wheels. They need major production from Johnny Gaudreau, from Sean Monaghan, from Elias Lindholm. The, uh, they, were, they were bad last year in the postseason, as uh, Scott mentioned five points total in five games. They have to get production from those guys. Those are your stars. Those are the guys that have to do it for you. And if they're not taking that next step forward and showing that they can perform on this stage, what hope do you have for the future? Especially when you look back and Mark Giordano is 36 years old. It's not like the pieces on the back end are going to be around for a while. This is the future of your franchise. So if they're not getting it done, what are you thinking? And, and does that even mean that Brad Tree Living might be in danger if, if this team doesn't do anything this season. Yeah, well, and that's sort of where I was going with that. I mean, of the 16 teams playing in the qualifying round, I think they are the ones that legitimately have pressure. They don't, they, don't, they don't get the excuse of we had four and a half months off because what was their excuse last year when they, they got overshadowed by Tampa Bay losing in the first round to Columbus, but Calgary also was a number one seed that lost in the first round. So it's, you know, it's, they need to, if they're going to show what this group can do, they need to do it now. Now, look, we have seen a couple times in the last two years with St. Louis and Washington, a team that was kind of like going into the playoffs with the thought of if they can't do it this year, maybe you blow this team up and then they won the cup. I don't think Calgary can win the cup. I'm actually going to take Winnipeg in this series, but Calgary is the sort of team that is very good. If they win this series, they could do some damage, but if they lose, like you said, 
we could see them completely blow things up this summer. They could go from, hey, we beat Winnipeg and maybe we win the second round and we're adding Taylor Hall to we lost Winnipeg and we might be looking for a new GM. We might be moving some big names. That This is a team to watch. Yeah. How many games? I'll go Jets in four. I don't want to pick every series in five, so I'll go Jets in four. And I will say this is another – this is not Chicago-Edmonton to me, but this is one of the, uh, the, the series that's high on my list. If they're on, i got to watch it. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to watch every game of this series. I also have the Jets winning in four, and Jamie has the Jets in five. For So we're unanimous in saying that it's going to be a tumultuous offseason for Calgary. <laughs> Even if they win, it might be a tumultuous offseason. Uh, okay, here we go. Coyotes, Predators. The game against Vegas is an exhibition game. Uh, the Coyotes got better as it went on, but there were um, – there were moments where I thought to myself and I said to the people that were socially distanced up in the, uh, the media box around me that I'm glad that was an exhibition game because they did not look ready to win meaningful playoff games in that game. And you, you saw a lot of the same issues that crept into their game um, over that last couple months of the season. Um, I don't know what you saw from Clayton Keller, but I didn't see much. I saw him turn the puck over on the, the power play. To, to lead to the shorthanded goal. I, I saw him not get to the net like I thought he was going to be doing. I didn't see much from Phil Kessel. Um, Oliver ekman Larson I thought was okay, actually, last night. Um, he looks like he's moving much better. He got some pucks through from the top. So, so that was a good sign. And I thought Taylor Hall was pretty good for the most part in that game. Um, but I don't know, Luke. Uh, they, they were defending a lot. Uh, they gave up odd man rushes. Um, Auntie Ronta, who came in in the third period, gave up a really soft goal that kind of killed all the momentum they had in that third period when they looked good. And they took too many penalties. There were, there were a lot of concerns in that game last night. Yeah. And, and, you know, you take too many penalties, you can say, okay, whatever it was an exhibition game, just move on and don't take those penalties against Nashville. But the thing is, if you're taking a lot of those, and Rick Tockett addressed this after the game, a lot of those stick penalties, that's because you're getting beat to the puck or you're just moving slower than the other team. And that's sort of your last resort. So... You obviously can't take six penalties in a playoff game. Yeah, yeah. It, it also threw off their rotation with their, their lines. I think it's hard to get into a rhythm when you're killing that many penalties and mess us, messes up your lines. So that's, that's an excuse, but <laughs> there wasn't much to come out of that. If you came out of that game with, with a lot of positives, I think you're being you're just lying to yourself because I, I didn't come out thinking many good things about the Coyotes. Yeah, I came out feeling good about Kemper and feeling good about Taylor Hall, but I already knew that going into the game. You know what I mean? And I don't know that they're going to be able to win playoff series or multiple playoff series with just Kemper and Hall. I mean, I guess I guess in a five-game series, Kemper could steal it for him. But to your point on Keller, uh, I know that we have, you know, it's been up and down with him since he got here. I was quietly thinking that this four-month break, and we, you know, we hear how good he has looked and what he has done. Uh, during the, the break to get ready. And I thought he did look good during uh, the, the summer camp against other Coyotes. But it's different when you're playing against your team as opposed to a team like Vegas or, more importantly, Nashville. I'm quietly hopeful that he can go out there and maybe not take over this series, but but be a major factor for the Coyotes. And if he isn't, they need production from him. I mean, it, it, I, I think no that question. If, if they don't get anything from him, I, I don't know how they win the series, honestly. Because you know yeah. you know you're going to get something from Hall. You know Kemper's going to be good. Somebody like Garland or whatever will step up. Uh, hopefully, I'll say this: they need Kessel or Keller. One of those two needs to produce points against Nashville for them to win. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Uh, a few other things that, that I noticed, I, I don't like, you know, when, when, when they start defending in their end too much, that was a weakness all season long where they get hemmed in their own end. Now Vegas is a big, heavy team. So that was a different kind of matchup than I think they'll necessarily face against Nashville. Um, but also again, getting to the net that they, they need to be make a more concerted effort in that area. And I do think that is also a possibility against Nashville, which has more of a, a skilled blue line than a, than a physical blue line. So it's hard. It's hard to judge this based on the matchup with Vegas, which I think is a legitimate cup contender. Yeah. That, that's a tough matchup. But again, I, I would have liked to see more from the Coyotes than we saw last night. Uh, what do you think of the Reeves hit on Nick Schmaltz? Cause we don't know for sure they're going to have Schmaltz now, at least in game one. I mean, player safety thought it was unavoidable. I, I, Honestly, I don't know how you reached that conclusion because he threw out his elbow. Uh, but in terms of egregious hits, I, I mean, I've seen far worse. So I, I guess I'm not surprised that they didn't do anything. They, they did, I don't even think they sent that tape out to their entire group because they, they just looked at it quickly and decided it was unavoidable. But you know who he is, right? You know who the player is. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think there's intent behind just about everything Reeves does. Well, he's just so much bigger than Nick Schmaltz, too. Yeah. You know? And that's, I mean, that's what's frustrating is you want to come out of that game as, as the Coyotes, certainly Vegas too, but as the Coyotes, cause you have a, a meaningful game and now two days with all your guys healthy. And even if Reeves had gotten a one game suspension in the round Robin, you know, I, I don't really care if he misses a, a meaningless game against Dallas or whatever, as much as right. I care that Schmaltz might not play for the Coyotes. Yeah. And that's the greater, greater concern. You want to go in fully healthy, even though Nick Schmaltz is another one of those guys we've talked about who needs to step up his game. We need to see more of what we saw him, from him early in the season. Uh, uh, sort of along the lines of what we were talking about with Calgary, although I think Nashville has better options. Is it going to be UC Soros? Is it going to be Pecorine? We saw them combine for a shutout in their exhibition game against Dallas, but Dallas didn't have Tyler Sagan playing. And again, it was just one game, so I don't want to take too much from it. But Nashville is one of those teams that they're going to name one of these guys if the Coyotes could get to that guy in game one. Uh, that really puts a team like the Predators in a lot of trouble because they have to make big decisions going into game two. Yeah, and I think it puts them in particular trouble if it's UC Soros and the Coyotes get to him in game one. Um, I, I spoke to Adam Vingen, the uh, beat writer for the Athletic uh, Nashville, and he he talked about this decision. It, it, statistically, it should be an easy decision. UC Soros should be in goal because he was a much better goaltender. Pecorino was a terrible goaltender, to be honest, this season. But they're so emotionally invested in Pecorino, and there's so much history with Pecorino. Beccarine, that you can understand them going to him. I got to believe in the end it's going to be Soros. But yeah, if you're talking about a series where you have to play two goalies, the Coyotes should have an advantage here. It's it's similar to what the Rangers have with Shesterkin and Lundqvist because it's like, yeah, one of these guys was a lot better, but how do you tell Henrik Lundqvist he's not playing in the playoffs after all he's done for you over the last not quite two decades, but decade plus? Um, The other thing with Nashville to keep an eye on John Hines was not the coach all season, and it's it's going to be tough, I would think, for them to adapt to his style of play. Taylor Hall was actually talking a lot about this this week because he he played for him uh, with New Jersey, but that's that's a potential not distraction, but additional obstacle Nashville is going to have to overcome. Yeah, because they were it was a work in progress late in the season as they were trying to adapt to his systems, and then the season paused. You wonder. Did that even become muscle memory or, or did they have to learn it all over again? In which case, that's a problem. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. That, that, that is going to be a big storyline in the series. I'm also looking at the special teams, though. Nashville special teams were not good this year. Neither one of them. The Coyotes should have an advantage in that area, too, particularly on the PK, where they were elite most of the season. But, but even on the power play, where 
I think the Coyotes were better at times than people gave them credit for, and then just terrific at, at other times. Yeah. We even saw that a little bit last night. And, you yeah. know, again, everybody's going to be all over the place after that long break, but they were one for four on the power play. The one that they scored, where, where Hall got the goal, even if they hadn't scored on that power play, that's one of those ones that you're talking about later saying, okay, that looked good. They were moving the puck. They were in Nashville zone or uh, Vegas zone. They just seemed assertive and, and it ends up resulting in a goal. But you're right. I mean, Nashville special teams wise, they, they're sort of the opposite of Edmonton, where special teams is a huge weakness for the Predators as opposed to huge strength. And if you're the Coyotes, you have to find areas like that that you can, uh, you can exploit. Roman Yossi, I know you and I believe Jamie both picked him to win the Norris this year. I yes. mean, just talk about so much consistency from him over the last, over his entire career, really. And at, at the beginning, he was in like, you know, what they've had Shea Weber and they've had PK Subban. They've all these, all these great uh, blue liners they've had over the last five, six, seven, eight years. But man, Yossi is just as steady as it gets back there. And he provides offense at two, what, 65 points this season. Yeah, that's the thing. I've, I think he's taken it to another level even than we've seen from him in the past. And he really is the engine that drives that offense as well. He he times his his decisions to jump up into the play so well. And as as all the Coyotes coaches have said, he's like a fourth forward out there, really effective. He has to be sort of the principal focus for the Coyotes. They have to neutralize Roman Yossi or they could be in a lot of trouble in this series. For the Coyotes to win um... – goaltending has to be an advantage, right? And I think it probably yes. will be. It's just a matter of how much of an advantage it would be. We only saw Kemper for 40 minutes last night. The two goals he gave up, I'm not... Maybe the second Riley Smith goal is one you'd like him to stop, but he also had Nick Cousins running right at him. I thought in general, he unfortunately was forced to make some pretty big saves and saves off rebounds early. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. I mean, you could look at that second goal and say, yeah, maybe, maybe a, a playoff goalie who's going to steal some games needs to make that save as well, but... There were a bunch of other ones that he, that he stopped. So they were the, the bottom line is they're just giving up too many quality chances last night, and that's a concern. But I do think that they should have an advantage. We need to see more from Monte Ranta too, though, right? If he's going to start one of those games, you can't have you can't give up soft goals in the playoffs. That just can't happen. Yeah, that's that's very true. Like I, I will, I'm willing to look past that tuck goal because it was such a weird one, and he just turned and fired it, and I don't think Ranta expected that shot. 40 games into a season, I think he's ready for that. But the problem is you don't get 40 games to tune up for these playoffs. If he steps in in game two or three yep. or whatever, he's he's got to be ready to stop that. Um, we've talked about some of the guys that need to step up for the Coyotes beyond just Hall and, and Kemper, though. Uh, and I mentioned Kessel and Keller. They're going to have to score. I mean, this may be a series where you can beat Nashville in some of these games two to one. This, this maybe is a lower scoring series because it's not like Nashville's loaded with star power up front. But uh you're not going to be winning games one nothing, and two to one is not even a way to go into the playoffs. We've heard Rick Tockett say he wants to get up to three goals per game. Sure, who else can produce here? Well, I, I think it, again, it comes down to the the style of play that you see emphasized in the playoffs, where you get goals from the dirty areas, the, the 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 areas closer to the net, and then you start looking at the players who get there consistently. and And I think we could have both, maybe some unexpected players like a Carl Soderberg. Or uh, I wouldn't say Connor Garland's unexpected, although he's never been in this situation, but he certainly gets to the net consistently. Maybe a guy like Christian Dvorak or maybe even a Derek Stepan who's had some playoff experience. You need to get goals from those areas, and those are the guys that seem to get there with a little more consistency. Yeah, and I guess the uh, the good thing for the Coyotes is they don't need all of those guys to chip in goals if Kemper's playing the way he can and if they can get the defense to look a lot better than it did last night. But, you know, to play the way it did at times during the season, especially earlier in the season, 
but they need some of those guys to produce. It can't be all of them like, oh, you know, Stefan doesn't have it this series, and neither does Kessel, and neither does Keller. It's like, well, somebody's going to have to score to win these games. But um, yeah. this one, I think, is 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 also very close to a uh, a coin toss, just because we don't know what version of each of these teams we're going to get. Uh, in the notes, the Chaika thing one last time. I mean, do you see that as a distraction? The more I sort of talk to people, I think that they're in a bubble. They're not going to have to deal with a lot of media. I think they're going to be able to block that out. Yeah, I mean, I think it was up until recently because I mean, his UGM, and he has, he has a relationship with a lot of those players. So it's not like, oh, they just don't talk to the GM anyway. They did with John Chaika. He had a relationship with most of these players. So, yeah, it was a bit of a distraction, but it's not like it's a coach going out or a, a, a teammate. So I, I think it's a little different. I think it has a lesser effect. At the same time, I think Rick Tockett is sort of using it as, as a rallying point. Hey, we, we need to block out the noise. We need to make sure that we're focused here. We've obviously seen this from this franchise in the past when it's had off-ice distractions do a good job, especially when Dave Tippett was here, of, of focusing in on the games. And I think Rick Tockett is trying to deliver a similar message. All right. Predictions? I'm going to go with the Coyotes in five here. Okay. I, I, you know, I, I think – you know, people still think of Nashville as the Nashville of old. I think this team is already on the decline. I think we're seeing that. You know, they've got a, a guy like Roman Yossi. With, without him this season, I don't know where this team is because they have a lot of issues. Uh, a lot of their top players haven't produced like they have in the past. I'm, I, I don't think this is as dangerous a team as it used to be. Um, and again, that, that transition to a new coaching style, it takes time. And I think the Coyotes have an advantage and goal here that's going to allow them to escape the playing round. Yeah, sort of along those same lines. Nashville, to me, was one of the bigger disappointments for a good chunk of this season. And, you know, they end up being a what the, the sixth seed because they, they won nine of their last, what is that, 14 games heading into the break. But like you said, they're still trying to adjust under a new coach. I don't think, you know, they're a good team, but when your best player is a defenseman, and we've seen this in the past with the Coyotes, there were stretches where it seemed like their best player was probably Oliver ekman Larson. That's a beatable team. Now, that's not to take away from guys like Victor Arvidsson up front, but I just, this is one of the better matchups the Coyotes could have drawn. I know that there were a lot of comparisons made between Nashville and Vegas heading into that exhibition game last night, but if, if those comparisons are there, Vegas is the much better version of Nashville. Yeah, and again, like I said, heavier too, bigger and heavier. I think that's they're more problematic for the Coyotes than the Predators are in that regard. I liked that the Coyotes got better as that game went on. Again, it's tough to draw anything from just 60 minutes of play, but I, I'll take the Coyotes in five. Um, they're going to have to play better than they did against Vegas, certainly, but I, I think they will, and, and I, I do think this is a good matchup. Even just over the yeah. last few years, they've played Nashville pretty well. Yeah, Nashville does cycle the puck well. They don't get a lot off the rush. They do cycle the puck well and get their offense there, so that's, that's something to watch for the Coyotes. But again, I don't think they're as heavy as Vegas is. So if the Coyotes can, you know, get to playing fast, get to playing North, I think they can beat this team. Did you, uh, did you mention Jamie's prediction for this series? He also took the Coyotes in five. Wow. Okay. Uh, all right. Let's get to listener questions here. And so we're a bunch of homers. Apparently. <laughs> um, okay. Before listener questions, uh, I have two questions for us, Craig. Okay. Nicholas Jalmerson. Did you, you saw his, uh, his unsportsmanlike, yeah. uh, I don't know if that's heard, if there are fans in the arena. And uh, the other thing that I've sort of noticed here through these this round of exhibition games, and I don't know if this is going to change as we go deeper. I don't know if it's just because they were exhibition and not, not so much because there weren't fans. Guys aren't really celebrating goals very much. You know what I mean? 
And, and it sort of makes sense if you're in a packed arena and everybody's going crazy and, and the, the intensity is building and then you score, there's going to be a huge celebration. Or if you score on the road, there's going to be a huge celebration. I, like I said, I don't know if it's because there's no fans or if it's just because these are exhibition games that don't really matter yet. But I, I don't remember seeing a lot of guys in any of these games when they score a goal go crazy. Yeah, and I agree. agree. And I, you're going to need the emotion of that, though, I think, in, in these playoff games. You're going to need to feed off that emotion when you score. So I hope we see it. Plus, plus it's creative and it's, it's fun to watch. But yeah. I do think teams are going to need that emotion to propel them. So hopefully we'll see those. Uh, so great question there by uh, Luke and Tempe. That was, that was very good, Luke. One of the, uh, the better questions I've ever had. Um, okay, Eldon writes in, Krispy Kreme donuts, amazing, overrated, or just okay? Uh, I'm going to go with just okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge Krispy Kreme fan. I'm not a, I'm not an anti fan, but you know, I'll eat them if they're on the table, but it's not something that I'm, I'm going to go actively out of my way to acquire. I had a heated debate about this last week. I'm, I'm a big fan of a hot donut. Uh, you don't have to go to Krispy Kreme to get a hot donut, but they're, how does Jamie feel about hot donuts? Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> he probably doesn't even like donuts. Um, so in that regard, I'll give Krispy Kreme the edge if you get ones like, you know, we used to have one in Phoenix where you could watch them be made and then they would just like hand them to you, right? So they were still hot. But no, the, the cakier donuts are definitely better, like Dunkin' Donuts or Bosa oh, yeah. or whatever. So that's, yeah. yeah uh, no doubt. Um, I love Connor Garland writes in, how many changes do you foresee both on and off the ice if the Coyotes lose the play-in series to Nashville, especially if they are swept? I would see many. I mean, I hope they don't get swept. That was me. That wasn't I love Connor Garland. <laughs> This, I think that's fair, though, don't you? It, I mean, if, if they get swept by Nashville or lose in four games uh, and they're a team that wasn't going to make the traditional playoffs at any way, I mean, I could see them making changes. The, the, the big caveat here is the flat cap. It's hard to make changes because a lot of teams are bumping up against the cap. So how do you move pieces out that you might want to move out? Obviously, we're, we're looking at a bunch of veteran players that could be moved out who are all going to be on expiring contracts um, next season going into the offseason. But I, I think it's really difficult to make those changes. But when if the Coyotes lose this series to Nashville, particularly if it's a quick series, with all this, all, all this new blood in the front office, uh, they're going to take a hard look at what's been done in the past, and, and they're probably going to come to the conclusion that it's not working. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big – personally, I'm a big fan of continuity as you're trying to rebuild, and this is not a bad Coyotes team. And you can see – you can see what Chica was trying to do um, – but if, if this is a quick exit against Nashville, I mean, the other the other factor here is your GM's not there anymore. So yeah. if it's Steve Sullivan, maybe he's a little more tied to the plan they had. But if they bring in, if they brought in a Ray Shiro after getting swept or taken out in four, he doesn't have allegiance to not just the players personally, but the actual plan that was in place. Yep. But what I, you know, I wonder is, if you're talking about just trading vets that are going to be gone in a year or two anyway, I don't know how big of a change that is considered is somebody going to mess with the core of this team? I think you have to be careful if you're doing that. Yeah, I think that's fair. But that, yeah, you're, like you said, uh, if it's a, a GM from outside, it's not really his core, right? Yeah, absolutely. So do a, a new evaluation of those players. And then could we see you know, some of the bigger names get moved? Could they even conceivably move like a Clayton Keller of a player of that ilk? And that's, boy, that's... That's a conversation I hope we're not having in the off season because then that means things went wrong. But that's, that's a very interesting one because I think most people would say if you're taking all the emotion out of it, Chaika's most risky deal he made was giving Keller that much money for that many years. And on the one hand, you can say, okay, he hasn't produced like that guy yet, but he 
doesn't technically have to until next year. That's when that part of the contract kicks in. But on the other hand, if you start paying him that much and he's not producing, it's going to be really hard to move him down the line. So again, ideally he just contributes against Nashville and that sort of silences these questions for a while. Uh, Justin writes in, it won't be the same without some Jamie Eisner sass was last night's exhibition game more of what we have seen a lot of this season or just rust or both. Also, have you subscribed to AZ Coyotes Insider? Truly the best coverage of the Oats. All right, we found Craig's burner accounts. Okay, well, Luke has subscribed now. So yeah, everybody that is a part of this podcast has subscribed, which is good. Um, I, as far as what we saw last night, I, I don't know how to read that. Again, it's an exhibition game. Yes, there was definitely rust. There was some of what we have seen before. It's probably a mix of all those things. Um, let's just say that it wasn't very entertaining. <laughs> That's fair. Um, Eric writes in, what has happened to the Coyotes' defense? The Oats got off to an excellent start defensively in 2019, but seemingly starting in the December game versus Minnesota where Kemper was injured, well, that might be part of it, the defense started allowing more odd man rushes or allowing, allowing opposing forwards to get behind them. Boy, that game in uh, December, I, I, won't, I don't know exactly what the date was, maybe the 19th. Talk yeah. about a memorable night because it's Taylor Hall's first game at Gila River Arena, and then Kemper gets hurt, and you never really got to see this team at full strength, although... The flip side is you should, in theory, get to see them at full strength starting on Sunday. Yeah, no, I agree. That was a crazy night. Just the the way Minnesota won that game, too, and all the smack talking that was going on between Kemper and the players early in that game. It was a bizarre – that was was like a a pivotal point for the entire season because the Coyotes looked like they were in such good shape and and really moving forward up until that point, and then things just sort of went south from that point on. Uh, In terms terms of the team defense, though, I don't know – I don't know that I agree entirely that the team defense got a lot worse. I, I do think Darcy Kemper was a big part of that. Yeah. And you have to remember too, I mean, it's not just saves or, or letting goals in, but I mean, when you have a goalie that is, is playing well, he sort of, he sort of makes you forget about an odd man rush you may have seen in November because it just gets snuffed out quickly by Kemper. Whereas there was a stretch there certainly where Ronta came in and didn't look like Ronta. And if there was an odd man rush, the puck was just ending up in the back of the net. Um, Coyote and Philly, this is a good question for Craig because you're an expert in this area. What's a good board or card game to play with your family during quarantine? Uh, how about Cards Against Humanity? Oh, wait, no, that'd be a bad choice, wouldn't it? <laughs> I guess it depends who you consider your family to play. Well, uh, you, you probably don't know this, actually, but I am not a big board game fan. Um, oh, I do I'm, know one of, one of my daughters, however, is a huge board game fan and t- tries to pull out Life of all games, which takes like seven hours to play. I don't like so, Life? Life's not that long. I, I don't like any board games, Luke. How do you feel about Monopoly, though, in terms oh. of other board games? Because that's the one that could take weeks and usually breaks families apart. I like it when I own expect, expensive properties with hotels on them. <laughs> I need to make like Coyote's Monopoly, where you just find different sites around Phoenix where you can put a new arena. <laughs> um Michael says, uh, talk had said in interviews that the Coyotes weren't going to expose too much in an exhibition game. Still yesterday seemed to cause worry. Can you point out the things you liked that also seem like the Coyotes aren't built to push back against physical play? Now, we already talked about the game and how much we can take from that. But the physical play thing, that is interesting just because obviously the deeper you go in the playoffs, the more physical it's going to get. And we have seen this in the past with teams like Calgary that, that caused some problems for the Coyotes they're not really built to be physical. They are built to be faster and smaller. No, I think, yeah, and that, that's how you combat it is by playing north, by getting pucks out of your own zone quickly, but sometimes that's not possible. I, I do still feel like the Coyotes could use a force on their blue line that could shut things down, that could stop the cycle with a big hit or pinning some guy or 
uh, making a play that of, of the physical variety. I still think that's something that's lacking on their roster. But again, if you're going to combat that the way you do it is by playing with speed and, and teams have had success doing it. It's not like you can't do it, but when I look at the Coyotes makeup of forwards, I, I think a lot of times it has to happen through the middle of the ice. And I wonder, do they have the personnel to do that consistently enough? Uh, Murdoch writes in, what's your favorite brunch food or drink? I need ideas for that 11 a.m. puck drop on Sunday. Yeah, the first three Coyotes games are either 11 or 11.30, which I, I will say this, Craig, um, as somebody that's covering the team and doing the broadcasts, I like that because if you're playing the late game, correct me if I'm wrong in case I missed this somewhere, if you're playing the late game and one of the games before you goes triple overtime, there's only one sheet of ice. So if you're scheduled to start at 7.30, you might be starting at 10.30. So I, I actually prefer the early start and also yeah. love brunch. I think they need to go to a shootout at some point and just give up. I mean, look at what, look at what Major League Baseball is doing with like seven-inning doubleheaders. I mean, yes. he's changed the rule. Yeah, it's, just, it's right. There's so no, much ugh, ugh about the MLB <laughs> plan. Um, as far as the menu, I've got the perfect menu for you. This is my menu any, anyway. Uh, some form of Eggs Benedict you can – Shift away from Canadian bacon, which I tend to do because it's not very good. It's also ham. It's not bacon. Um, you can use bacon itself, which is fantastic on Eggs Benedict. And then I would go with mimosas. And there, there's two thoughts here. If the Coyotes are playing well, you'll, you'll be in a celebratory mood with that mm-hmm. mimosa. And if the Coyotes are not playing well, well, you can just go numb. <laughs> you'll just add a little more of the wine portion of the uh, mimosa. Uh, wow, we got a lot, of, a lot of questions here. There's no way we're going to be able to get to all these. I will apologize in advance. I thought we were almost done, and there's 25 more. Um, Robert Nelson, just when I thought 2020 couldn't get any worse, Peter Chiarelli's name keeps being brought up in connection to the GM opening. Who are these league members who are trying to get him another job, and can they too be fired? <laughs> well, I have had a lot of sources tell me that he is being pushed by the league, particularly the top brass. I think he's good buds with Colin Campbell, actually. Um, this doesn't feel right um, on, on any way. There's, there's no way that Peter Shirelli should be the next GM of the Coyotes. It's not a good fit, fit. He doesn't have a good track record. And he's the guy who traded Taylor Hall one for one. How is that going to work out for the Coyotes? No, that might be, in fact, Taylor Hall's greatest gift to the Coyotes. Is <laughs> even if they can't re-sign him, they probably would sign a, diff- a different GM. Because if you're trying to re-sign Taylor Hall, you're not bringing Chiarelli in. And look, I know we've joked about Chiarelli a lot on this podcast, and I think rightfully so in a lot of instances. If he is somehow involved with this team next year, A, I really don't want it to be as the actual GM, and B, it better not be as a favor to somebody else. Like yeah, I, under, yeah. I, I understand the league should have input on ownership and stuff like that that affects their product, but as far as who's making the hockey decisions, that's, that's got to be the Coyotes' choice. Yeah, it feels all kinds of wrong if that happens. Um, dangle snipe belly any idea how long it took to repair the ruts the coyotes were skating to the penalty box in well, that's that's fair a while that seems rhetorical to me so um, uh, did you see alex mccready's question by the way with, uh, with chica gone is there more of a chance tucket gets let go if they don't show up against nashville oh, that's a good one or will he still be allowed to play out the last year of his contract that's a really good question because Again, if a new GM comes in, he doesn't have ties to Rick Tockett, and often GMs want to pick their own coach. Could it happen in the offseason? Sure, at that point, if they don't have success in this postseason. Could he let him ride a little way into next season and see what happens? I could see that as well. But again, if it's a new GM, he's probably going to want his own guy. Yeah, and I haven't even had that thought of like what coaches are available. Um, I don't even want to have that thought, I guess. But th- that's, that's a fair thing, though, you know, 
with the progress the Coyotes have been making, a lot of it is nuanced. I mean, unfortunately, they haven't been to the playoffs. They haven't been winning series. So if you're a new GM that comes in, you don't know that nuance. So you're not going to look and say, oh, yeah, but Taka took him to the Western Conference final last year. You don't have that. And so it's going to be – if I'm just using Ray Shiro's name because I'd rather it was him than some of these other names that were thrown out. But if he comes in, he's not going to he's not going to look and say, well, you know, but he really – he probably resurrected Lawson Krause's career early on. Like that's great. And it helps in the development of the team in general, but a new GM is not going to keep a coach over that. So this, that's a big series for not just the the team and the fans, but certainly for Tockett too, because Chike is not here now. Yep. I agree. Uh, the other ones from Dangle Snipe Belly, best cut of steak for a barbecue. Hmm. Barbecue. Hmm. A lot of people are asking barbecue questions everywhere I go. I think we all just need a big barbecue. I don't know because, I mean, when I, when I think steak, I'm always thinking filet. Um, who will take over the eagle-adorned haberdashery with Jamie gone? To be fair, uh, the, the last show we did, that bonus episode, I didn't point it out because we didn't have time, but Jamie was definitely wearing another one of his eagle shirts that he says have nothing to do with the Philadelphia Eagles. Jamie isn't technically gone. He's just not here for this episode. That's that's what we think anyway. Yeah. Uh, Booper, are you all worried? Because I'm worried they did not look great or even good. Yeah, we've, we've touched on that. Um, if they look like that again in game one, I will be worried. Um, Coachies Jack, nice. This is amazing. Uh, Coachies Jack wins the Eternal Optimism Award if we ever go, give out awards to the listeners. All the questions we have right now, just put, put those as the context. Here's Coachies Jack's question. If the Coyotes win the cup, who would have to be your Conn Smythe trophy winner? I'm thinking Derek Stepan. <laughs> wow. Wow. You are an optimist. Uh, wow. I, I don't know. I, I, would, I would think it would have to be someone like Darcy Kemper, actually, if they win the Conn yeah. Smythe trophy. That's <laughs> 100%. <laughs> if the Coyotes are winning the Stanley Cup this year, we're looking back and saying it was Kemper or Taylor Hall just went wild. Yeah. Um. We touched on. I know there's a lot of questions about the Ryan Reeves hit, so I'm I'm not uh, I'm not ignoring people. We touched on that earlier. Um, Joseph writes. <laughs> sadly, apparently that's how you tweeted it out from the Natural Hattrick uh, account. He said, "Sadly, as if it's not sadly that Jamie's not here." And he said, "What is Jamie too busy with his quote real job?" I mean, mm-hmm. Jamie's got nine. He's a man with nine wives. Who knows where he is right now? At last count. Yeah, that's true. It's been a while. A um, couple of napkin jummy questions. Carl writes in, rumors are swirling that Jamie quit. Will there be a strongly worded press release? Is his new job at Chicago a step up or a lateral move? Jamie actually responded to this. He did, but I'm not going to yes. read Jamie's response. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he did say he's not working for Buffalo. That's fair. Okay. He did, he did close down that rumor. <laughs> um, Kevin, who is the first move Shane Doan is going to make when he becomes our new GM? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Austin Matthews still has too much time left on his contract. <laughs> uh, a lot more questions about how safe Tockett's job will be. So again, I'm not ignoring them, but um, Gilbert Anthony. Wow. I appreciate I your consistency. saw that one. You're going to read that one. No, I'm just going to tell Gilbert. We appreciate your consistency, but uh, wow. He even went deeper. I don't mind Matt Lehman, but he's no Jamie Eisner. That's I, I'm half convinced Jamie's not doing the show today just so he can commit more time to his burner account as Gilbert Anthony. I'd like to ask Gilbert Anthony what's going on with this obsession because I, I feel it has reached obsession levels. It's disturbing. I, I suggest you go get some help. Um, 
Todd wrote in, is there a place to leave Yelp reviews for the Natty Hattie guests? <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. That's good. I should say, Todd, uh, you can always rate and review the show on, uh, on iTunes. Um, okay, we're gonna, I think we're going to wrap this up. There are a lot of these. Uh, the Real Yotes fan did bring up the issue of, um, of e-bugs. I think everybody just likes to say e-bug, but emergency backup goalies. What exactly does happen? And for the Coyotes specifically, they have Prosvitov here in Phoenix just kind of hanging out, I assume. In a bubble. Cartwheels. Yeah, in a bubble doing cartwheels across the ice. <laughs> That's, I mean, I guess if you have a lot of goalie injuries at a certain point, you were going to be screwed anyway. Yes, exactly. I mean, I, I don't know. You, you're, you're done anyway, exactly. If, if you lose three goalies and don't even have a backup, well, good luck. Or if you lose four goalies, yeah. And it's the same thing with quarterbacks, right? I mean, at some point, does it matter anymore who's next in line? <laughs> uh, here, we'll close with this one. This is from Todd and Phoenix. What are the lightest condiments that add the most flavor but won't unduly weigh down a parachuting hot dog? I'm looking for pro-con analysis here. A heavier choice like deli mustard needs to taste proportionally better than, say, celery salt. Ooh, celery salt. Oh, yeah, that's an assault on my senses. Yeah, all these hot dog questions just make me want to. I mean, you, you got to go with deli mustard. I'd, I, You have to have deli mustard on a hot dog. You have to have tomatoes on a hot dog. And what you add from there is up to you. There are, there are a lot of acceptable ingredients. All you have to do is consult the Chicago hot dog guide to know what those are. Clearly, there is one that is absolutely not allowed, and anyone who chooses it is a, you know, a low, low-life scum peasant. As much as I want to close on that, um, I know we're going to get these throughout the playoffs. We have a couple about OEL, how he played last night, specifically on the two-on-one. Do you want to address this? or <laughs> Not really. I mean, because he was too much in the middle. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that suggestion. Uh, I, I had more concerns about how Jacob Jickren played defense last night than how Oliver ekman Larson played defense last night. Yeah, that was surprising and concerning. And I, I do think with Chikrin. That was just shaking off the rust. He was one of the better and certainly the probably probably the breakout player of the season for the Coyotes. They're going to need him playing at a high level. The other thing I would say about the OEL play is, yeah, it, it sucks, but don't fall over and turn the puck over at center ice and your guy's not in that position on the power play. Most, most NHL teams in that position, and we've seen the Coyotes do it a year ago a lot, most NHL teams are going to find the back of the net if you give them many opportunities like that. All right, Craig, this was a um, remarkably informative podcast, I would say. One of our, our, our best because Jamie's not here. And uh, I'm really excited. We got, we got playoff hockey starting in less than 24 hours. Yeah, I, I seriously can't wait. I know we've talked about this before, but I am literally just going to be parked on my couch watching hockey. We should have ranked at some point our, our order of interest in each of these series. But can I assume that um, take the Coyotes out of it for a second? We have Minnesota, Vancouver at the bottom, and probably Chicago, Edmonton at the top in terms of got to watch these. Yeah, I want to watch Calgary, Winnipeg too. Um, the Islanders. I watched a lot of their game against the Rangers. I, I I forgot. I don't know why I forgot how I respect Barry Trotz more than most coaches. Great yeah. guy, great coach. Oh, that team is tough to watch. Yeah, kind of in the way you used to respect Jacques Demer for the style that they play. Yeah, it's, yes. it's, it's not pretty on ice. It's effective, but it's not pretty. Uh, By the way, yeah. this hat, for some reason, this hat, especially when you lean back like you're doing right now, yeah. your face is gone. You're like some, oh, right. I don't know, like some superhero like Dark Man or something. I can't see your face at all. Uh, I do. We should point out this to Sergey Bobrovsky. Um, just because we're not going to get to talk again before the oh. Florida game. Are we sure that's him? 
Uh, it doesn't look anything like the guy we've seen in the past. That's a problem. That's a problem. And I don't remember what your, your Stanley Cup pick was before the playoffs. Mine was Vegas-Toronto. Do you want to do an updated version here as we head into the, the qualifying round? Oh, you put me on the spot like this. First of all, when did we make those predictions? Was that six years ago <laughs> when the season started? Yes. Well, here, you don't even have to make one, or if you, you do, I'll buy you some time. I know who it was, actually. Okay. It was, it, it was Vegas and Tampa. Okay. I think Vegas is going to the Cup this year. Or, or I'm sorry, I, not Vegas. Yeah. Sorry, not Vegas, Tampa. I think Tampa's going to the Cup this year. Okay. They fool me every year. <laughs> But I, sooner or later, we have to be right about this. Yeah, and I, and I vowed a, a season ago to never pick them again. But with the break and the fact that they're kind of flying under the radar, the 5 nothing win over Florida has nothing to do with it. I just think that they I, – I remember being at the awards show last year and how upset they all still were and what they got eliminated in early April last year, and that was late June and Kucherov was winning all these awards, and he was miserable, even behind the scenes, media availability. Um, they made the, the joke, which I thought was hilarious, of setting the record for least playoff wins in a season after the, the best record in the regular season. None of them laughed. They have a chance now to completely undo that, and it's under unique circumstances, which I think actually benefits a team that seemed to be in sort of a rut in the playoffs. They're not playing in front of fans. They don't have as much pressure this year as some other teams do. I think Tampa's coming out of the East probably winning the cup to be honest okay so but i do think toronto's gonna smoke columbus in round one all right that's uh it's gonna do it for us not for jamie eisner because he wasn't here but for craig morgan i'm luke lipinski thanks for listening to the natural hat trick podcast enjoy the postseason